Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. We're going to talk this morning about courage to face a cancel culture. How many of you know our culture and our society is changing, changing swiftly and fastly, and we need courage to stand up? In the 1960s, to some extent, the values of America, the values of our society, were not that different than the values of the church. Oh, everybody wasn't a Christian, everybody wasn't saved, but when if you ask, do you think abortion is wrong, most people in America in the 1960s would say, yes, it's wrong. If you ask them about many of the moral issues going on in our land today, they would say, well, that's plainly wrong. But in the mid to late 60s, we had, we had social upheaval, we had civil unrest. Then we had, in the 1970s, we had the sexual revolution, and that began to change the fabric of our land, and slowly but surely, we began to lose our Christian worldview and our biblical values and our foundation. And then we got into the 1980s and through the 1990s. I know it was while I was pastoring in the 1990s that, it re- that I realized it's not enough just to teach and preach the scriptures. You've also got to justify why you believe what you believe and why others should believe it as well. Then we got into the year 2000. How many of you remember Y2K? A lot to do about not too much, right? But then we had... The bombing of the World Trade Center in 2021. Now here we are in the year 2022. Things are difficult. Life has changed. Um, our culture has embraced a new world vision that doesn't include biblical morality. And, and, and I say that, and, and, and you know, there's some things that we can do and not get pushback. If you walk down Monroe Street... And you just begin proclaiming, I love Jesus Christ, I love Jesus Christ, I love Jesus Christ of Nazareth. People might look at you like you're a little strange, but you're not going to get a lot of pushback. If you go on social media today and you put Psalms 23 on social media, you probably aren't going to get a whole lot of pushback. If Doug Ott, who was up here playing his cello, where are you, Doug? Hey, okay, okay. If, If Doug Ott... He works at FAMU. If Doug, on his lunch hour, went out and began playing Amazing Grace on his cello, he's not going to get too much pushback. If he plays other hymns, he might even get people to come out and sing with him because he plays so beautifully. If you score a touchdown for the NFL and you say, I just want to praise God and thank Jesus for the athletic ability he's given me, you're not going to get too much pushback. You can do those things and your career is not going to be threatened. Your Facebook account is not going to be taken down. But it's when you begin to profess certain Christian doctrines that are related to morality. That's where the rub comes today. See, it's when you begin to proclaim, hey, there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. Do you know how many churches today never mention hell? 
Do you know how many churches actually teach that there is no hell? They've taken a universalist perspective or ultimate reconciliation. They teach that it doesn't matter how you live, that God's such a God of love that when this life is over, that he's not going to let anybody go to hell, but he's going to ultimately reconcile everybody. And I think that's a nice notion. I would like to think it might be that way, but Jesus... Just study what he had to teach. He said more about hell than he did about heaven. Jesus said hell is a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. The apostle Paul says, knowing, knowing the wrath of God, we persuade men. Folks, hell is real. There is going to be a judgment day. One day, this whole world, things are going to be wrapped up. Things are not going to continue the way they are. Jesus is coming back. The trumpet of God is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to rise. And those of us that, that, that know the Lord are going to rise to join them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And we're to comfort one another with those words. But there is hell. It's a, it's a real place. Unfortunately, I've got good friends Friends that, that I've loved Jesus with and friends that I've worshipped with and friends that, that, that I've lived life with who've come and said, you know, I'm just not so sure that I believe what the Bible teaches. Well, dear ones, heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will never, ever pass away. You know, if you and I went out up, up down here to Walmart and we bought some posters and some markers and we made some placards that said we believe that human life begins at conception and then we took our big placards over to florida state's campus you know the women's softball team is hosting the ncaa regional playoffs and they've got some games today and we held up our placards so that the espn cameras could capture what we've said. We believe that human life begins at conception. Do you know there's some people there that wouldn't like what we did? There's some people that would say, put those signs away. There's some people try to kick us out of the park. What if some of us made a placard that said, we believe that marriage is an institution ordained by God between a man and a woman? There's some people that wouldn't like what we did. There's somebody that would give us some pushback. And I've had people say, well, well, Pastor, why in the world don't we just go along to get along? Why do we want to alienate people? Why don't we just avoid certain topics related to morality? Let's just preach the gospel and love people and, and, and you know, let's just major on the majors and, 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 and just go along to get along. It won't hurt to compromise on a few things. You don't have to talk about same-sex marriage. You don't have to talk about abortion. You don't have to say that there's a hell. But you know, when I go to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, I want you to be able to distinguish between the holy and the unholy. I want you to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. So how in the world do we live today? How do we face a cancel culture? Let me share with you, I'm going to share with you, today six things that the bible says that we should be about that we should be doing and then i'm going to share with you four things if you're taking notes four things from second corinthians 4 that can trip us up and then i'm going to share with you four things that will encourage you and that will strengthen you so will you put on your seatbelts? are you ready okay here we go 
How do we live today? How do we face a cancel culture? Number one, we've got to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. Be ready to give an answer for the hope because you've got a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Your worst day doesn't compare with what unbelievers are going on, going through because they have no hope, okay? Be ready to give reason of the hope that is within you. You say, well, how do I do that? I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to seminary. It's really simple. You've got a story. See, you and I used to be walking in darkness, but now we've been brought into God's kingdom. You know, I deserve death and hell. I grew up here in Tallahassee. I attended Rickards High School. Man, I deserved death and hell. I didn't deserve eternity with Jesus. I deserved eternity separated from God, but God had mercy upon me. God had grace upon me, and you've got a story to tell. You say, well, I'm not very articulate, but don't you remember this? Don't ever forget this. A person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Did you hear me? If you've got an experience with Jesus Christ, you're never at the mercy of a person who wants to argue with you. Hallelujah. Number two, when you share your story, when you share the hope that is within you, speak the truth in love. That's what Ephesians 4.15 tells us to do. When you communicate with another person, you're not going to get anywhere being angry at them. You're not, you know, people in this cancel culture, they may shout at us. They may yell at us. Folks, I've had people get nose to nose with me and curse at me and spit at me. I've had death threats. I've had people do all kinds of things. And the old man, the old Terrell, wanted to ball up his fist and say, I'll show you. But there's something, there's something the Holy Ghost wants to do in all of us. The Holy Ghost brings self-discipline and self-control, right? And when people hear your story, when you interact with people, whether they're angry with you or not, those people need four things. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs acceptance. Everybody needs forgiveness. And everybody needs respect. Because an old dog can tell when you love them. An old dog can tell when you respect them. And people need that from us, especially in this day and age where we live. Number three, what should we about, be about doing? We cannot afford to be ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of the words of Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the son of man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his father's and in the whole, that of the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed. Number four, we got to act like ambassadors of Christ. How many know what an ambassador is? We've got thousands of ambassadors from the United States that represent our nation and our government to other governments. How many of you know the ambassador does not choose his or her own political doctrine? They're told what to say by Washington, D.C. Dear ones, you are an ambassador for Christ. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. But you're an ambassador for Christ. You don't choose your own doctrine. You don't say, well, I think I'll share this and not share that. Let me tell you something. You're a representative of the kingdom of heaven, and heaven decides what you share. Heaven decides what you say. 
Number five, Jude chapter one, verse three says that we're to earnestly contend for the faith that was once of all delivered to the saints. Number six, come on, keep your seatbelts fashioned. We're getting ready to take off. Number six, you've got to learn to place your faith in the grace and in the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says, put on my glasses. He says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Let me just read it again. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Turn to somebody and tell them, I'm not going to lose heart. Come on, tell them. Now, Paul said, the thing that keeps me going in ministry is the fact that I have received the mercy of God. See, that word for mercy means to actively remove every cause of distress. And when you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, cleanse my heart of my sin. Jesus, take me out of darkness and bring me into the kingdom of your dear son. God, I call out for you. I need your mercy. The story is told of Napoleon Bonaparte, the great French general he got off his horse one day, and this little girl ran up to him. She knelt down. She says, oh, General Bonaparte, please have mercy on my father. I know he deserves justice, but have mercy. And she, he said, young lady, who is your father? And she said, here's his name. And General Bonaparte thought for a minute, and he says, young lady, your father deserves death because he's guilty of treason. She says, I know, oh, General but I'm asking for mercy, not for justice. The truth is that we all deserve justice, but God's had mercy on us, amen? And we're to have mercy on other people, and we need to learn to place our faith in God's grace and in his mercy. God's grace is God doing that for you and me, which you don't deserve. God's grace is God doing that for you and me, which you don't deserve and you can never receive in your own strength. But today, Lord God, I'm going to be encouraged. I put my faith in your grace and in your mercy. Look at verse 8. We're going to find four things that can trip us up. I want to go over these. Uh, I'm going to go over them quickly, but we'll take a little time just to explain it. Verse 8. We're hard-pressed, Paul says, on every side. Everybody say hard-pressed. That means to, it's a compound word. It means to suffer because of circumstances and people how many of you know at times people can be demanding come on how many of you know people can be difficult anybody ever have a boss man that was difficult come on sometimes people can make us want to give up sometimes that that stress can drain our inspiration and our motivation for living he says we're hard pressed on every side Paul and Cindy Barnhart moved from Arkansas to Virginia Beach in 1985. God had blessed them with three wonderful little boys. They were students, and I was the, I was the dean of students and the chaplain. I didn't really know Paul and Cindy, but I came into work on a Monday morning, and one of our staff members was crying. And I asked her why she was crying, and she said, she said, the Barnhart's baby boy passed away last night. I immediately got in my car, 
I may have been a dean of students and a chaplain, but I still had a pastor's heart. And I drove down to their apartment complex and I knocked on the door and they hadn't slept in about 72 hours and they opened the door and their eyes are bloodshot and they're just, they can't believe what has happened because little Aaron, Aaron was three years of age and the doctor told them that he had a cold. But what he really had was bacterial meningitis. They had rushed him to the emergency room and spent a couple of sleepless nights there. Little Aaron had coded once, twice, and then three times. Spent a lot of time with Paul and Cindy, particularly with Paul, in the next couple of days. Paul and I went to the funeral home that day and picked out a casket and arranged to ship little Aaron's body back to Arkansas. And then we planned a memorial service that we had there at CBN. Then Paul and Cindy flew home and then they came back. And I made a point just to stay close to him. Paul was working. He was going to school during the day and at night he was working at UPS. And then for another trucking firm, he, he wasn't sleeping anyway. I just wanted to get close to him. Cindy was keeping children in her home. And the thing that amazed me about Paul and Cindy was that they were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And I heard Cindy say more than once, she said, you know, God, you're a good God and you didn't take my baby. Bacterial meningitis took my baby. But God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to believe you. And they went through some dark days. And you can imagine the grieving in the morning. The Bible says we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. But it's, it's important that when you have a loss in your life, that you grieve that loss. And don't push it down and let it come up as a negative emotion. I stayed close to Paul and Cindy. And I thought to myself, if I ever pastor again, I'd like for that couple to work with me. And then... In 1988, Kathy and I helped plant the church on the North Shore of Chicago. And Paul and Cindy came and worked with us. And you know what? Their hearts ache today for, for, for Aaron, I know. But they know that they're going to see him again in heaven for eternity. And they have held on to their faith. And they said, Lord, this is hard. Our hearts are breaking. But you are faithful. They're like Job. Lord, though you slay me, I'm going to trust you. And everybody look at this preacher this morning. Sometimes we go through hard times. Sometimes life doesn't always play along the way we want it to. Sometimes things don't happen the way we want it to. Sometimes we go through a divorce. Sometimes we lose a job. Sometimes we may have to go through a bankruptcy. Sometimes our best friends may betray us. Sometimes we, we go through illness and sickness. Sometimes we don't have enough money to pay the bills. Sometimes we don't know where we're gonna, how we're going to pay the rent. Sometimes we don't know how we can keep on keeping on. And Paul says, I've experienced that. Look at what he says. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but he says we're not crushed. And dear ones, I've learned over the years, it doesn't matter what the devil throws at you. It's important that you arise and say, devil, shoot your best shot. I'm not going to be crushed in Jesus' name. I want you to say that with me. 
I am not crushed. Come on, say it. I am not crushed. Come on, say it again. I am not crushed. Say it again. I am not crushed. Now turn to somebody and tell them, I'm not crushed. Paul goes on. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not in despair. That word perplexed means to be confused. How many of you know confusion can lead to despair? And despair can lead to a loss of hope. You don't want to ever lose your hope. Because if you lose your hope, you won't have a vision. See this, if you lose your hope for the present, you're not going to have a vision for the future. Okay? You can't let despair take root in your heart. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to take root in your heart with despair, with that depletion of hope. January. I left Evangel. I retired from Evangel a year and a half ago. And in January of this year, January 8th, I was taking some medication for high blood pressure. And uh, I experienced a medical mishap. I went to take a nuclear stress test. And when the nuclear chemicals were put in my body, suddenly I couldn't breathe because something happens when this particular, those two medications get together. I couldn't breathe. I thought I was going to die. I was, <gasps> I couldn't breathe at all. All I could say was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The people in the hospital, they got nervous. They said, we got to get him to ER right now. My eyes started to roll back in my head. They said, don't close your eyes. And I said, I can't stop it. I started to fall back and a man got behind me and caught me. And a nurse came over on one side of me. She said, look at me. Look at me. Do not close your eyes. And I, I, I can't get any oxygen. I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, I'm going to heaven. She slaps me. She says, breathe with me. And I'm thinking, lady, I can't breathe at all. She says, breathe with me. And little by little, I started getting a little oxygen and a little oxygen. Took them about an hour to get me back to some normalcy. I went home. I told Kathy about it. I said, I'm so glad that's over with. About 1 a.m. that morning, I woke up with a panic attack. I was dreaming I was going through the whole thing again. I'm laying in bed and I can't breathe. That happens on, it happens night after night and suddenly I can't sleep. I can't sleep at all. I go three nights without sleeping. By the end of the week, I'm in the emergency room because they think I'm having another heart attack, a heart attack. Not another one, thank God, but, an, but a heart attack. And they found out about the, the medical mishap, the mixing of the drugs and pharmaceuticals, and they tried to explain to me what was going on. All I can tell you is I couldn't sleep still. And these waves of depression started coming over me because of the chemicals in my brain. See, you have serotonin in the front of your brain, and that serotonin helps you to sleep. That serotonin is called the feel-good chemical. It helps you to feel good. But the chemicals in my brain begin to, begin to get all mixed up. And these waves of depression begin coming over me, and then anxiety attacks begin coming over me. Kathy thought I was going crazy because all I could do was sit in a dark room and cry. 
I thought I need to go see a counselor. See, just in the last couple of years, I lost my mom and my dad. And last year, I lost my sister. I thought, well, maybe I haven't grieved my sister's death. Maybe that's the problem. I went to this, a Christian counselor. And my only prayer was, Lord, may it be somebody that I've not pastored. I got in the room, and it was a lovely Christian counselor. And she says, well, hello, Pastor Terrell. And she told me how she used to come to the Women of the Word conferences that our church would sponsor. And I began trying to tell her what was going on, and all I could do was cry. She got nervous. She says, I, 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 you need more help than I can give you. That made me feel, I thought, oh, Lord, I'm losing my mind. The weeping may endure for the night. Joy comes in the morning. Some of you may be going through the valley of the shadow of death this morning. Some of you may be passing through a season that's got you down. Some of you may have depression coming your way or anxiety attacks coming your way. Some of you may be having to, to battle with fear and depression. I'm telling you in Jesus' name, you may be walking through that valley, but don't stop for anything. Just keep on walking. Don't build a, a condominium and don't pitch a tent in that valley. You're going to come out. 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 January was a terrible month for me. And six months earlier, I had committed to do a men's retreat for the Open Bible Fellowship of, of Churches in Florida, which they've got about 60 congregations in this state, and they were all sending their men to this, to this retreat, and I had agreed to teach four sessions for them. And, and, and here I am, all I can do is sit in a corner and cry, and I said, Kathy, I can't go. And she says, I want you to go. God's going to help you. And I'd go into the room they assigned me, and I'd just cry my eyes out. And this heaviness would come over me. And the only thing I knew to say is, David says, I've been young and now old, am I old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Lord, you have not forsaken me. You are faithful. And God, I'm going to preach with an anointing and a blessing. And every one of those sessions when I got up, I, I would stop crying. And I began to speak. And I was amazed at the words of knowledge and the healings that took place. And then lots of men wanted to talk to me, and all I'm thinking is, I just want to get back to my room and close my eyes. Session after session after session, I got home. It was worse than before. I could just sit in a room and, I'm, 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 and, and cry, and I'm thinking, Lord, this doesn't make sense to me. I've rebuked the devil. How many, how many of you know sometimes it takes time for your, the chemistry in your brain to get back to normal? It takes time for things that go bump in the night to go away. I just kept rebuking the devil. And I began saying, Jesus, you're supplied every need. And Jesus, you're my healer. And I'm going to tell you, January was dark and February was dark and March was dark. But in April, I started getting some light at the end of the tunnel. Dear ones, I'm going to tell you, whatever you're going through, don't you let go of Jesus. Don't you let go of the one who's the lifter of your soul. He's the glory, and he's the lifter of your souls. But sometimes you and I go through times of suffering. He says we're perplexed. He says we're confused. 
I was perplexed. I was confused. But then he says, I'm not in despair. And sometimes you and I just have to say, I'm going to kick despair's butt. I'm going to get despair out of my life in Jesus' name. I want you to say this with me. I'm not in despair. Say it again. I am not in despair. Come on, shout it. I am not in despair. Look at verse 9. He says, we're persecuted but we're not forsaken. That word persecution means to face the opposition of people and devils. The devil wants to attack you. The devil wants to run you out of ministry. He wants to run you out of serving Jesus. He wants to run you away from serve, from, from attending church. He wants to run you away from worshiping God. He wants you to doubt everything that you believe, but he's a liar and the truth is not in him. And he'll use persecution sometimes. He'll use threats. He'll use intimidation. He'll use people getting in your face. He'll use people writing you ugly notes. Dear ones, if, if, if an ugly note could separate, could, could, change, could, could chase you out of the ministry, I'd been chased out of the ministry. If an ugly email and text could chase you out of the ministry, I'd been chased out of the ministry. Persecution may come, but look what Paul says. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. In other words, when the persecution comes, and this is the reason in this cancel culture that we live in, so many Christians don't want to say what they believe. They don't want to say what they believe because they're afraid they're going to be persecuted. There's a fear factor. But what you got to know is that when the persecution starts, the glory gets heavier. When the persecution starts, the grace of God is more pronounced. When the persecution starts, dear ones, you can run through a troop and you can jump over a wall and, and, and nothing that's made can prosper. I want you to believe me. But we just don't want to get to that place where we might have some persecution. But if you want the anointing to increase in your life, sometimes you're going to have to face some difficulty. If you want the anointing, if you want the glory of God to increase in your life, sometimes you're going to have to go through some things so you can get through those things and God can do some things in you so then he can do some things through you. Now, I, I'm preaching better than you're listening right now. Come on now. Look at the fourth thing that can trip us all up. Well, before we do that, Paul says, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I want you to say, I'm not forsaken. Say it again. I'm not forsaken. I'm not forsaken. I'm not forsaken. Glory to God. And then look at what Paul says. He says, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. That word struck down means to experience defeats and failures in life. Sometimes my best intentions have resulted in failures. Sometimes your best intentions haven't been so good. All of us have had some defeats in life. All of us have had some failures in life. And Paul says, listen, I've been struck down, but I am not destroyed. God made you for victory. And God wants our, 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 our defeats and our failures to be stepping stones and not tombstones. But you're the only one that can make up your mind. These things are going to be stepping stones for me. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. And if they stumble, they're not utterly cast down. Everybody goes through times of stumbling. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln after the Civil War. And you got to remember in the Civil War, there were 630,000 men, white men, black men, brown men, 
Indian men, men of every color, Asian men, 630,000 men lost their lives. They were killed in the Civil War. Almost 500,000 were injured to the point that they could never live life normally again. Almost 500,000 lost their legs and lost their arms and lost their feet, lost their hearing and lost their eyesight. It forever changed. You got to remember there weren't that many people in this country back then. And after the Civil War was over, just before he was assassinated, President Abraham Lincoln, he looked at the northern states and he looked at the southern states and here's what he says. He says, I'm not concerned that you have fallen, but I'm concerned that you arise. I want you to hear this message from heaven today. God's not concerned that you have fallen, but God says, I want you to arise just as Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Jesus would say to you, come forth today. Hallelujah. Don't you you allow the devil to keep you down. Paul says, I'm struck down, but I'm not destroyed. Say this with me. I'm not destroyed. Say it one more time. I'm not destroyed. Now I want you to say it and let the devil and his fallen angels hear it. I'm not destroyed. I'm not destroyed. Now turn to one other person and tell him I'm not destroyed. Now, let me quickly go with you, share with you four things that will keep you encouraged, four things that encourage the Apostle Paul. Verse 13, Paul says, and since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. Since we have the same spirit of faith, dear ones, there comes a point in time, and if you and I are going to make it, if we're going to stand up to a cancel culture, if we're going to be encouraged, even as America has lost her moorings, there comes a point in time that we've got to embrace the spirit of faith. You've got to be able to speak the word of God. There are over 7,000 promises in the word of God. You've got to say, Jesus, I embrace the spirit of faith today. I'm going to speak my faith and not my doubt. I'm going to speak your word instead of my instead of my fears i'm gonna speak what you say instead of what other people say lord you've got the last word heaven and earth will pass away but your word will never pass away faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god and i put my faith in your word i put my faith in your mercy i put my faith in your grace i'm gonna get your word working in my life and i'm gonna believe you to do exceedingly abundantly above all i could ask or think in the name of jesus glory to god Look at the second thing that kept Paul encouraged is found in verse 16. Paul writes, he says, therefore we do not lose heart. Again, he's talking about getting discouraged here. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Did you catch that? The outward man is perishing. Paul says, I'm getting bald-headed. He says, my ears are getting bigger. Do you know your ears never stop growing? I'm getting, he says, my hair has left the top of my head and it's gone underground. Now it's coming out my ears. He says, the outward man is perishing, but the inward man. See, you've got an outward man that everybody sees and you've got an inward man. You've got a spirit man. 
You got a part of you that was born again when you came to Jesus. You got a part of you where the Holy Ghost lives. You got a part of you that's your spirit and your soul that's going to live for eternity. You got a part that when God is finished with you on this earth, your guardian angels that have guarded you all your life are going to come along and they're going to say it's time to go to heaven and they're going to escort your spirit to heaven and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and you're going to be with Jesus and you're going to walk down those streets of gold and you're going to look at those walls of Jasper and you're going to cast your crown down at the feet of Jesus and you're going to what you want to hear is well done thou good and thou faithful servant hallelujah but you've got an outer man and you've got an inner man. And Paul says, though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. I want you to hear me. If you're going to stay encouraged, if you're going to stand up against this culture that we live in today, you've got to give yourself to daily spiritual renewal. Every single day, you've got to go to the Word of God. Every single day, you've got to spend time in prayer. People often have asked me, how much time should I spend in my devotions. How much time should I spend reading the Bible? I want you to hear this. Here's the secret. Read to feed. Some days you may have five minutes and some days you may have an hour. But whatever you do, read to feed. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Trying to hurry here. Or could I just, could, you know, can I preach to three? Is that okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Look at verse 17. Here's a third thing that kept Paul encouraged. He says, for our light affliction. The word affliction is, is thelipsis in the Greek. It, it's also translated tribulation. It refers to the process of crushing grapes. Have you ever seen how they used to put grapes in a big vat and people would get, they'd get barefoot. Hopefully, they'd wash their feet first, but they'd, they'd just stomp on those grapes. And that's the word thelipsis, means to be a grape that's stomped on. And Paul says, there are times that I've got light afflictions. There's sometimes that I'm like a grape that's stomped on. You ever feel that way? How you doing today? Well, I was stomped on by somebody's foot. That's thelipsis. But look at how Paul looked at it. He says, for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory weight of splendor weight of radiance weight of majesty <laughs> that's centered in the lord jesus christ what paul was saying is my problems that i go through yes i go through problems but they are light and they are momentary compared to all eternity and you've got to keep that heavenly perspective and finally We'll close with this in verse 18. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. See, there's some things we can see, and there's some things we can't see. Helen Keller was born deaf and blind. She couldn't hear or see. But a dear lady named Annie worked with her, and Helen Keller became a phenomenal lady. She was asked, when she was in her 60s, through sign language, she was asked, is there anything worse than being blind? And she said, yes, the worst thing in the world is to be a sighted person who has no 
vision. You say, well, pastor, I've never been a visionary. I've never been good at trying to see a vision for the future. You don't have to be. All you got to do is look unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Haven't had a good day? Look unto Jesus. There's no money to pay the rent? Look unto Jesus. Come on. Discouragement, despair, trying to grab your soul and choke you? Look unto Jesus. When you're confused and you don't know what to do, you look unto Jesus. When your best friend betrays you, you look unto Jesus. Your spouse says, I want a divorce. You look unto Jesus. Your health begins to fail you. You look unto Jesus. Your best friend betrays you. You look unto Jesus. Hallelujah. You lose your job. You look unto Jesus. You go through bankruptcy. You look unto Jesus. You say, this thing's not going to be a tombstone for me. This is going to be a stepping stone in the name of Jesus. Many may be the afflictions of the righteous, but God, you're delivering me out of this problem. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. My dad, my dad was a businessman. Some of you knew him. He was a businessman, and then when he was 39 years of age, he felt like God was calling him into the ministry, and he became an evangelist. And David, dad's favorite scripture was from Romans chapter 8. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us dad was 90 years of age his health was failing two years ago last April it was actually in March two years ago he was in a rehabilitation center here in Tallahassee and some of you remember COVID had come and nobody knew what to do with it and they wouldn't let us in to see him and we could look at him through a window and wave and Finally, I just decided to get him out of there. And he came to our house and he lived. And dad would have some great prayer times. Then he stopped eating and kind of slipped into a coma. I just felt like the end was near. That's what the doctor had said. And one night I went to his room and I knelt down and I said, Jesus, I thank you for my father. I thank you for the life he's given me, for the heritage, for his love. He's been a good dad. And God, I thank you that it won't be too long, but he'll be home in heaven. That's where he wants to go, Jesus. I thank you. Now, mind you, dad hadn't talked in three days. He's been in kind of a a coma. And I'm crying my eyes out. I'm praying in tongues and I'm praying in English. I heard somebody laughing. It was my dad. He says, son, I remember praying that same prayer with my father just before he passed away. He said, son, I'm going to heaven. He he says, I'm going to make it. 
He says, I'm going to be where we all want to be one day. And he says, son, if you forget everything else I've ever taught you, don't you ever forget this. If God be for us, who can be against us? I'm telling you, God is for you. God is for you. Many may be the afflictions of the righteous. We may live in a society and a culture that's crumbling. We may live in a day and time that, that people are saying that, 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 that falsehood is truth. There may, we may be living in a day and time that people will not pay attention to the scriptures. But you and I can be strong. Because Daniel said, the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Want you all to stand to your feet. Please don't leave. Church isn't quite over. Stand to your feet. You'd say, Pastor Terrell, I, I, just, I just want to go on record that I want to be able to stand strong in the midst of a cancel culture. And I'm going to stay encouraged regardless of of which way the winds of our society are blowing. If you say, Pastor Terrell, that's me. I want to stand strong in a cancel culture. I'm just going to ask you to get up from where you're standing right now. I'm going to ask you to come right down here. We're just going to have a prayer together. We're going to have a prayer together. Pastor Terrell, I want to stand strong in Jesus' name. That's it. Come on down. Come on down. I want to stand strong. I'll not be ashamed of the gospel. I'll not be ashamed of the word of God. I'll not be ashamed of the moral issues that the Bible addresses. And I'll take a stand with what the scripture says. Come on. Come on. You say, I'm going down on record. I'm going on, down on record. I'm going to stand on God's word. And I'm going to speak God's word in love. And I'm going to show people love and acceptance and forgiveness and respect, regardless of how they treat me. I'm going to believe God's grace to work powerfully in my heart and in my life. I say, come on down. There are a few more of you that should come down and be a part of this. Let me ask you a question. This is for everybody, those here, those that are still in the auditorium. If you died tonight, do you have the assurance in your heart that you would wake up in heaven? If you died tonight, do you have the assurance in your heart that you would wake up in heaven? See, the Bible says it's appointed man to die and then the judgment. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not, no, not one. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know. I'm that guy that, I'm that lady. I'm the one that went through the divorce and went through a depression. I'm the one who lost my job. I'm the one that went bankrupt. I'm the one whose best friends betrayed them. I'm the one who's had health issues and I don't know where God is. Just bow your heads, close your eyes all over this house. Come on. If you'd say, Today, I want to get my life right with God. Today, I want to affirm and confirm that Jesus Christ is my Lord, that my sins have been forgiven and 
separated as far as the east is from the west, thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. All over this house, if you say, Pastor Terrell, that's me, just raise your hand and just leave it up till I see it, okay? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. There's people across this auditorium have raised their hands. Let's pray this prayer in faith believing. Everybody together, come on. Say this after me. Say, Lord God, today I trust the shed blood of Christ as the full payment for all my sin. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. (laughs) Write your law in my heart. Come fill me, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says amen. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 1030 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.